I think I caught four rainbow trout. Two of them were worth keeping. They were big enough to keep. Mm -hmm. And so I cleaned them right there by the lake, which there was a sign that said, don't clean the fish (laughs) because bear will eat you and the fish. But I was like, I'm just going to clean them anyway and take the chance. Because I kind of want to see a bear too, uh, even if I get eaten by it. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Lancelot's Roundtable. It's going to be a good episode today, folks, because... Uh, we're doing a, a do-over today. We're doing a mulligan. When we when I first started the podcast, I had a good friend come, and uh, we did an awesome recording. It was about an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. I was all excited about it. Went back to edit it, and five minutes into the episode, I bumped my microphone, apparently, and that did something to a chord. And so the whole rest of my audio track was this buzzing feedback thing, and I had no idea. We've since grown in our podcasting skills. So now we have somebody monitoring the recording. She's our social media manager and our website designer and our recording uh, monitoring person. There's probably an official name for that for that role. I don't know what it is, but uh, she's here with us today. Hi, Kim. What's up? She's also my wife, in case you didn't know, which, I mean, why would you know? So she's here with us today, and we are bringing back my first guest, my original Lancelot's Roundtable guest, Nick Lashivo. Nick, welcome to Lancelot's Roundtable. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Again. It's good to be back. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be even better than the first time, so. I think so. That's I right. think so. So let's get right into it. There's a few things I want to talk to you about. Um, obviously, but I want to talk about your guys's dream trip to Montana that you took in, was it 2019 or was it the beginning of last year? Uh, it was August of 2020. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't that long ago. That feels August of 2020 feels (laughs) like a lifetime ago. It's been one heck of a year. Yeah. So you guys had planned this trip and you had been talking about leading up to it. You were so excited to go. What were you what was going on in your mind when you were thinking about going and getting that time in Montana? Well, I think it all started with just getting into some shows that highlight uh, the landscape of Montana and Wyoming. We were actually in Wyoming for the majority of our trip. Got it. Northern Wyoming. And uh, the more I saw this landscape, the more I just thought to myself, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I have always been into uh, to varying degrees throughout time, just into like cowboy culture mm-hmm. and the way life is out West mm-hmm. and the history of the West. And mm. uh, so kind of all of those things wrapped up into one, a big thing is, you know, my family and I, we've never seen mountains like mm-hmm. there are out West. We've seen, you know, mountains in West Virginia and smoky mountains, smoky mountains in Tennessee and things like that. But nothing like no snow capped mountains or anything like that, that you get to see out West. So, yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. you did take all three of your kids. Did take all three of our and kids. you all survived. We all survived. We drove and that alone was just a fun time. Obviously there were moments that were not fun with three kids. I have a seven year old, a five year old and a three year old getting ready to turn four in a couple of weeks. And we just, you know, we would drive for about eight to 10 hours a day and Mm -hmm. we would stop at a hotel, stay the night. And it's, it's a 24 hour drive if you drive straight through. So we had about on the way there, we had about two and a half days worth of driving. And when I say two and a half days, I I mean like, you know, two 
eight hour days, 10 hour days, and then mm-hmm. half of a day driving on that third day. And our first stop was in a little town in Wyoming called Dubois, Wyoming. It's like southeast, about an hour from the Tetons. Mm-hmm. And we camped out at a KOA campsite. Mm-hmm. We wanted to do some like backcountry rough camping, like closer to the parks that we were going to go see. Uh, but those are all booked up. And honestly, with our three kids, it couldn't have been a better situation. I mean, they had like a general store there. Yeah. There was a playground. Yeah. Uh, we, I call it glamping. I, some people's <laughs> definition of glamping is a little bit different. But, you know, we had electric. We had a, a water pump uh, for just boiling water and things like that. And yeah. Bought a really nice air mattress before we went. So, mm-hmm. and one one of the cool things about the trip is we've never really been on a camping trip like that, mm-hmm. and uh, so we didn't have a lot of camping gear. And so, instead of like staying at a hotel the whole time we were there and spending all of that money, I just said, "Hey, let's invest in some camping gear that we can keep and that we can use again when we go on another trip like this." Because we will go on another trip like this again. Oh yeah. So, Are you already thinking of like where you want to go next? <clears throat> yeah. So originally. We were supposed to go to, so we went to the Tetons. We went to see the Tetons, and we went to Yellowstone on this trip. Um, And then, so we were originally supposed to go to Glacier National Park, which is, like, very north of Montana, central northern Montana. Mm -hmm. And it actually bleeds into Canada a little bit. And so about... It's kind of crazy, kind of a crazy story. About two weeks before our trip, we get this email notification from our campsite saying that our reservation was canceled up in Glacier. Mm -hmm. And so I called the, uh, yeah, so I called the campsite and I asked him what was going on. Well, basically, the Blackfoot Indian tribe owns like, I think it's like 90% of the land that is Glacier National Park. Mm hmm. And they have the jurisdiction and the power to shut it down whenever they want to. Mm -hmm. And so when we were getting ready to leave for Glacier, the Blackfoot Indian tribe decided to shut down like 90% of the park. So 10% of it was still technically open. But the lady at our campsite said, listen, if you want to come see Glacier, I would recommend coming when it's like fully open and you can get the most out of it that you can. So. Um, we, So we had to reorganize, regroup. And so we were trying to figure out what to do. And so at first we settled for South Dakota. We said, well, let's go to South Dakota. Let's check out Custer and um, uh, what is it? Uh, not the Black Hills, the the Badlands. Oh, okay. So those are pretty close to each other. This is South Dakota, you South said? South Dakota. Okay. And, and don't get me wrong. We drove through South Dakota on the way home, and it's it's awesome there as well. We We saw some cool stuff on our way home. Awesome. But yeah, so we made reservations at a campsite and we were set. We were we were planning on going to South Carolina. And then about a week before we were going to leave, I just still had this deep, deep desire to go to Montana and to go to Wyoming. Mm. And so uh, I just got online and started looking for campsites, which is which was to me felt like a fool's errand because. I mean, some people will reserve these campsites like a year in advance. No doubt. So it's really hard to find camping anywhere close, like even an hour outside of these parks. Wow. So 
it just so happened that I got on KOA's website and they had a campsite available near in, in Dubois and then mm-hmm. they had a campsite available uh, near Yellowstone. And so I booked those suckers as fast as I could. And I called my wife and I said, listen, we're not going to South Dakota anymore. I canceled our uh, reservations for camping. We're going back to Wyoming and Montana. And so she kind of freaked out a little bit. And <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's where we ended up going. She came around eventually. She came around, and we couldn't have been happier that that's where we ended up going. So it's funny how like little things like that will happen. You have plans that you lay down, and then those plans get foiled, and then there it's almost like there's something I imagine that which is going on in your brain where you were like, I am not happy with this. There's something that I really wanted to do, so you just you just kind of stuck with it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It definitely felt like. I was excited to go to South Dakota. I was excited to go on a trip with my family, but it definitely felt like we were settling and it's just sort of this feeling like, I don't know when we're going to be able to do this again. Right. So like, let's make the most of it that we possibly can. Absolutely. And so we just rerouted our trip, headed back out West, way out West again. And, um, it was, it was an awesome time. And you got to take your daughters out and you got to take your son out and they got to experience real nature. Real nature, yeah. We saw some cool wildlife. We didn't see as much as we thought we would. Uh, the biggest thing that we all wanted to see, especially me, as you guys know, are bison. Mm-hmm. I'm like super into bison. I have a tattoo of one on my forearm. You do have a tattoo of one on your forearm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to bison. <laughs> I, I think I got into them when I was like, I don't know, 10 years old and my dad was watching dances with wolves and oh. they went out on a bison hunt and I just thought they were the coolest things ever. <laughs> and then they like Indians like kill one and eat their heart, you know, it was oh, like that's this right. crazy thing. And so at, ever wow. since then I like, I got into like cowboys and Indians. I, I just got into that like Western culture and, and bison were definitely a part of that. So got to see bison up close. We had uh, a bull and a female uh, walk right in front of our van, which was really Sweet. cool. And, the male bison were in like the rut, which is like their mating season. So they were super active. They were super aggressive. And we, we saw hundreds of them just literally on the side of the road in in Yellowstone. We saw an elk on the side of the road, which was really cool. Never seen an elk before. It was huge. We saw these little, uh, I'm trying to remember about like these little prairie dogs. Yeah. They're kind of everywhere. We saw some deer and Sadly, we didn't see any bears or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, yeah, it was just we. One night we were camping. I think it was our last night in. Yet, like we camped out in this town called West Yellowstone, which is in Montana. Mm-hmm. And we got. Uh, we woke up at like three in the morning to these two owls like hooting at each other, and it was like one of the coolest things wow. I've ever heard in my life. I was like a little mad about it because I just wanted to sleep, yeah. but it was also a really cool experience. It. I've never heard before. So that's all like stuff you can't even plan. You just get to experience and witness. Yeah. That makes it, I think super extra special. It's like you're interacting with nature and you're not like at a zoo. Yep. You're just, you're there and you can see them in their actual element. Yeah. Do you see any wolves Hear Any wolves? We saw two gray wolves, uh, kind of far off the road as we were driving into Yellowstone one day. But it was sort of like once we saw them, we realized we saw them, and then they were kind of gone. Unreal. So they're, 
bears and wolves, you have to get up super early to see them in, in, in Yellowstone, or you have to stay at the park pretty late. Hmm. And with the kids there, you know, yeah. we were we were just tired by the end of the day. We yeah. wanted to sleep. We wanted to make breakfast. We wanted to like kind of do our little routine that we had while we were out there. So yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. Can you tell us about your uh, your trout lake? Yeah. So one of the coolest moments of our trip, and honestly, I've one of the you like fishing. I, I do like fishing. Yeah, just a little bit though. Yeah, yeah, I do like fishing a lot. <laughs> uh, one of the coolest moments on our trip and honestly one of the coolest moments of my life was one day we were on our way to the Tetons and we started to see some really cool mountains and we kept stopping off on the side of the road to take pictures. Like literally every 15 minutes we were like, Oh, we got to stop and take these. Like it's just so breathtaking. Words cannot describe how amazing it is. And so we kind of came around this corner on Route 26 that goes towards the Tetons, and mm-hmm. we saw these mountains, and then I saw this, like, path that, like, went off the road up this hill towards the mountains. And so I, I said, Jacqueline, I, I got to, like, walk up this path and, like, see what's up here. Oh, yeah. So we, we walked up the path and got this really awesome view of these mountains. It wasn't even the Tetons yet. It was just these really cool mountains. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you drive through, it's called the wind river Valley. Mm -hmm. The wind river runs through this Valley, obviously. And we camped right in the wind river Valley. And the, the closer you get to the Tetons, the cooler the mountains get. So I walked up this path. I see these mountains. I'm like taking pictures of it. And my kids and my, and, and Jacqueline come walking up behind me. And Jacqueline goes, did you see that lake? And I said, no, I didn't see a lake. <laughs> She's like, well, come back here. So we, I came, we, I walked back down the path towards the road, and there was another path that walked towards this majestic, clear mountain lake. Wow. And it was just like a picture that you'd see Bob Ross paint or something yep. like that. And so uh, I didn't have any of my fishing stuff with me at the time, and we wanted to get to the Tetons as soon as we could. And I said, Jacqueline, I want to stop here one morning and go fishing. Yeah. Like, that's just something I want to do. So the next morning we woke up, we ate a quick breakfast, uh, cause we were going to go back to the Tetons again. Mm-hmm. And we, cause I think we spent like two days in, in, in the Tetons, mm-hmm. seeing the Tetons. Mm-hmm. We went to Jackson hole, which is just a little town outside of the, or near the Tetons. Mm-hmm. So our second day on the way to the Tetons, we got up, got going a little bit earlier. And so we stopped at this lake and I got to fish there. And one of the cool things about being out West is the weather. It's Mm. super dry. I think the humidity pretty much every day was like 20%. Oh, wow. And then it got down to like 45 degrees every night. And I like cool weather personally. I I just, I don't like to sweat that much. And I just like, I don't know. I like to dress warm and things like that. So it was a cool morning. It was sunny. Uh, There was nobody there. And so got to fish there and I caught three rainbow trout, which I've never caught before. Hmm. And one of the things my kids like to do is we, we watch, we watch these YouTube videos of this guy that does catch and cook videos. Oh yeah. He lives in Idaho Mm -hmm. and is, uh, it's called ACE videos. If anybody ever wants to check it out, it's on YouTube and he, I mean, rainbow trout are just like, they flourish out West. And so he's Mm. always catching trout and cooking them like right after he catches them with a little camping stove and stuff. So cut, I think I cut four rainbow trout. Two of them were worth keeping. They were big enough to keep. Mm -hmm. 
And so I cleaned them right there by the lake, right which there was a sign that said, don't clean fish because <laughs> bear will eat you and the fish. But yeah. I was like, I'm just going to clean them anyway and it. take the chance. Just got to do it. Because I kind of want to see a bear too, yeah. uh, even if I get eaten by it. <laughs> <laughs> so I cleaned the fish and then uh, about 15 minutes down the road, there's a gas station. I bought a bag of ice and I just wrapped them up in a shopping bag and put them on ice. Sick. And that day we... We stopped at the Tetons, which worked out really well because that was on the way to our next camping site. So Got we it. stopped at the Tetons, saw them one last time, and then we headed to our next campsite, which was, uh, as I said earlier, in West Yellowstone, which is in Montana. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like 15 minutes away from Idaho. So we were okay. really close to Idaho, too. So we got to our campsite. We got everything set up, mm-hmm. and I, I cooked up these trout on a— little frying pan with some butter and some seasoning. And it was some of the best fish I've ever had in my life. It was, it was so amazing. So that experience was definitely a highlight of the trip right. and uh, a highlight of my life. <laughs> I mean, your kids, got, that's so cool that your kids got to see you do that, like catch something, prepare it. That's like literally you bringing home the bacon. Yeah. So to speak. Yep. So I'm just kind of curious how you did it. Did you like fillet them out? Did you cut out the meat? So trout are really, it's, they're one of the easiest fish to clean. Okay. Uh, you literally just gut them, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of brutal. And it is. <laughs> you cut like literally down their belly. Uh-huh. Um, and then you just pull all of their guts out. Yep. And then you rinse it out with water. And there's a. Does that part stink very much? No. No, because it's fresh. I mean, if yeah. it were to sit out in the sun all day, it would smell really bad. Okay. But it's, yeah. I mean, it, fish smell in general, but it doesn't smell like rotten fish, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, you pull out the guts. There's a vein that runs along the dorsal uh, fin. Mm-hmm. And so you got to pull that vein out. And then that's it, dude. I mean, Unreal. you can literally throw it in the frying pan with the head on it. I cut the heads off. Sure. But uh, you could literally just throw it in the frying pan with the head on. And then if you cook it right, you don't have to take the skin off or anything. Uh, wow. The meat just falls right off the bones. And, wow. Uh, that sounds so good. You can eat the skin and, and everything. That so sounds so good. I'm ready for dinner. It's tasty. Yeah, it's really good. So did you have like a cast iron skillet stove thing? No, not stove, I'm not but... that hipster. Okay. Uh, we we might get there one day, but we did not have a <laughs> cast iron with us. We just had a normal nonstick Teflon cancer-causing fry, frying pan, you know. So, <laughs> But over an open fire? Over an open fire. Wow. Now, what kind of spices did you use? Just used some, what did we use? I think it was just like some Mm all-purpose seasoning, you know. We just used that and melted like a huge pat of butter in the pan. A lot of people like to use, actually, bacon and trout are a very common thing. Okay, sure. So what a lot of people do is they'll fry up some bacon, and when it's almost done cooking, they'll throw the trout in the pan and cook it in, in the, the grease. Basin, or yeah, bacon grease. Sometimes people will wrap the trout in bacon and cook <laughs> it that way. Uh, but I just, I fried it up in some butter with some all-purpose yeah, that, seasoning. That just sounds so good. Now, was that enough food for the whole family? No. So that was okay. just like a little appetizer. Got it. I think, you know, my kids got a little bit. Jacqueline got a taste of it. And that's all they really wanted. And I ate the rest of it. And that was like before dinner. So Nice. So the kids weren't like, oh, I want more. I want more. Um, they were, but they just knew there wasn't that much. Okay. So, and okay. they knew uh, we we had some pretty epic meals. That was one mm. of the nice things about camping where we camped is we 
we planned really well for food. And uh, one night Jacqueline made like queso with like quesadillas. And she we, makes really good queso. Yeah. DT dubs. We brought some ribeye steaks and cooked those oh, like wow. over the fire, which was pretty amazing. So, yeah, we 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 did pretty good eating wise. There is something about being able to eat something that you've either cooked directly over an open fire or that you've used the fire in the you know with a pan or whatever. I remember grilling steaks in Boy Scouts over like a tripod grill. Yeah, and there's something about eating that eating that way. That's unlike anything. Yep. You're waiting for it to cook. You're watching it cook. It's even better, you're I think, than it, grilling. You're it. Yeah, you're yeah. smelling it. You're hearing it. All your senses are getting open. And, yep. And that's typically if you're camping or, you know, cooking out in nature in a camping ground, you've probably used a lot of energy that day doing different things. So there, it's that level of like, I've had a really good long day. Yep. I feel super hungry. I feel super satisfied with what I did, and I'm going to fill my belly. Yeah. So, yep. so good. I remember even having potatoes that we wrapped in foil and cooking them in the coals yeah uh definitely burnt the heck out of the skin but the inside (laughs) was like warm awesome goodness yeah who eats the skin anyway yeah i mean i like the skin but i think you asked me earlier though where we're planning to To go go next next. yeah or your next so i got a little diverted there so next time we go we want to go to glacier um so Yellowstone is that the was, one that you missed originally? That, that was the one that we to? missed. Okay, Yellowstone was amazing, but literally everyone we talked to who either lives in Montana or goes to Montana on somewhat of a regular basis, they say Glacier makes Yellowstone look like, you know, uh, like a patch of dirt. Like going to Delaware State Park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, which folks. is hard to believe because when you're in Yellowstone, it is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, and it's so big. It right. is huge. Uh, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think you can fit like, I forget what the number is. I think it's like 10 Franklin counties or something like that in oh, Yellowstone Park. Wow. It's, it's massive. I, I mean, the day that we saw bison, so what they do is in the summertime, they stay like on the north side of the park. And then in the wintertime, they migrate to the south end of the park mm-hmm. because on the south end of the park, there's all these natural hot springs, there's Old Faithful. And so that water never freezes in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And so it's a source of water for them. But in the summertime, they migrate up to this place in Yellowstone called Lamar Valley. So where we we came into the park on the west side. And so from the west entrance up to Lamar Valley was like, I think it was like an hour and 15 minute drive. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's how big it's it's massive. It's so nice to know that that still exists. Yeah. I think I watched a documentary on Netflix on, I don't think it was just Yellowstone. I think it was other national parks. But I just remember one of the things that they brought up in the documentary was that there was this individual who had a plan to to either privatize the land and then essentially like exploit it and turn it into something. Yep. And they, it, it was stopped. Like initially he was, I think he was considered like this great person or whatever. And then people started to figure out what he was going to do with it. I, anyway, I'm probably botching the story, but then the fact that it all got like protected and over yeah. all the because I was like in the 1800s, I think. That was a big. That was Teddy Roosevelt. Was you know like what really I'm talking big about? Like okay. pre- preserving the national parks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was pretty amazing. I would say if you're listening and you've never been like further west than Nebraska, which was the case for me mm-hmm. before this trip, you have to go 
out there at some point. So it was pretty awesome, dude. It was pretty epic. If you on your drive, I'm going to ask you if you did this, but I'm picturing you on the drive once you get to that place in Nebraska and you figure out this is as far from home I've ever been. Did you stop the van and in, in true Samwise Gamgee fashion say, I did. this is the farthest from home I've ever been. I did. Yep. <laughs> Lord of the Rings reference. Lord of the Rings reference. Gotta, Gotta love it. it. Yep. So yeah, Glacier is hopefully not this summer, but the summer, because uh, I just started a new job and uh, don't have enough paid time off yet. But yeah. hopefully next summer uh, we will have enough time because we gave ourselves a good like 12 days worth of being away from home because of the, the amount of driving. And then, right. I mean, we, we spent two days at the Tetons and three days at Yellowstone and we barely scratched the surface of the things that you can do and see there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's good to know that you can go back and just have a completely different experience there. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about, you had, you just handed me a really great segue there because last year, 2020, you had a very big year of some big changes, not the least of which was deciding to switch professions as a father of three kids. Mm -hmm. They're younger kids, but still it's three kids. So the fact that you switched jobs, um, that, that had to require guts. So can you tell the folks what you were doing and what you switched to? Mm -hmm. Sure. I have been... Well, I was in full-time ministry for around 10 years. Mainly, the main part of my job at the church that I was working at was leading our music ministry. Okay. And all that entails that, I mean, I think a lot of people think when you're a music ministry leader at a church, you literally just wear skinny jeans and, like, <laughs> you know, make old people mad with, like, the really edgy music that you play. Yeah. Um, but that was not the case for me with my job. I mean— uh, Linworth, the church that we attend, that you guys attend, that yep. I attend, that Kim, you know, serves on the music ministry at. Um, it's a very mid-sized church, and so it doesn't have the resources to just hire a guy to come in and just do music uh, right. as a full-time job. And so I was responsible for our, our sound system, maintaining mm -hmm. that, up, you know, buying things that needed to be replaced mm -hmm. or updated. Uh, did a did a pretty good deal of updating our sanctuary. Our When I came in, our sanctuary was pretty outdated. And so oh, over yeah. the course of, I don't know, six years, we made some significant changes to our lighting, to our, just our stage, the, we painted walls and all kinds of stuff like that, which was a lot of work. It was, you know, getting quotes from people and scheduling and things like that. And then on top of that, uh, there's been probably about an average of, 20 to 25 volunteers on the music ministry um, mm -hmm. over the course of the time that I've been there. So just planning and scheduling those volunteers and kind of working through individuals own personal schedules and when they can right. play, when they can't play. Right. So that was part of it. A big part of it was planning and orchestrating like Christmas Eve services and oh, Easter right. and Good Friday. I was very, had, uh, mm. Just a lot to do with those services, a lot of work that go, went into it. And then on top of that, I think about six years into being on full-time staff, I became a pastor at our church. I got mm -hmm. ordained, and so I was already doing a lot of the shepherding and discipleship work that pastors do, uh, but that also 
just kind of elevated as well that that amount of pastoral and, and, and shepherding work that went into my job. And so, how many years were you on that road to get ordained? The, that was a long the elder process. Thing. The elder process at Linworth is pretty. It's pretty uh, grueling. Mm-hmm. I think from start to finish, it was about I want to say like four and a half to five years. Mm-hmm. So, in I, I really respect it. I think it's it's a good process, and it needs to take that long. Mm. I, I think it really helps the existing pastors at our church get to know, get to know the individual, get to know their character, their mm-hmm. their strengths, their weaknesses, areas mm-hmm. that they need to grow in and, and be refined in. And so, yeah, that was that was a good four and a half to five years. And yeah. um, at times it was very frustrating, and at times it was very discouraging. Right. But God, uh, I, I grew a lot in that season of my life, just being with patience and, mm. uh, you know, insecurities that I have and things like that. So yeah. anyway, yeah, um, full-time staff at my church for about 10 years. And then, as you said, this last October, I stepped down from that that role. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I still work at the church part-time mm-hmm. doing music on Sunday mornings, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's on a very like part-time, uh, level. So, yeah. And so you went from there to, I went from there to, uh, Dave Fox remodeling. Mm -hmm. I'm actually sporting one of their hats right now. Right. Actually. Yeah. One of their hats. So, uh, it's funny, you know, in high school you have your life figured out. Mm-hmm. And in high school, my plan was is I was going to be a Columbus firefighter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, so I have some family that are firefighters, both my grandpas, two of my uncles, and then my father-in-law is a Columbus firefighter. And so that just seemed like a natural thing that I gravitated towards and mm. wanted to do. And so, I don't know, it was like halfway through my senior year that that's what I decided I wanted to do. So I knew I wasn't going to go to college. And so what that meant was, is right out of high school, when I graduated, I got a job, and that was with my uncle, who uh, was kind of business partners with this other guy that had a very small residential remodeling company. Mm. So I just asked my uncle if they were looking for help, you know, kind of one of those classic examples of like, yeah, I just, you know, I did construction like on the, like during the summertime with my uncle or something like that. And so... They they hired me, and so right when I was like 18, I started mm-hmm. working for my uncle. How did that fit into firefighter? Well, it was just sort of a it was a stepping stone job. Yeah, it was oh, like okay. I'll just work this job until I can you know take my civil service test with Columbus and hopefully get hired on the fire department. And then when that hmm. happens, peace out, DeCarlo Builders, <laughs> which is the company that it was called. Yeah. Um, I you know, and so. That was my plan. And then, so I worked at DeCarlo Builders for about four and a half years. Mm-hmm. And um, that company kind of went belly up. It, you know, mm. kind of went out of business eventually. And so my cousin, who is a pretty awesome dude, he had his own company at the time. And so I said, hey, man, this company I'm working for is, it's about to go under. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for help at all? Because he was just, it was just him. He didn't have anybody oh, working wow. for him. Okay. He's like, yeah, dude, I mean, come on, you know, come on board. You can help me and, you know, I'll try to teach you as much as I can. So I worked for him for a while mm-hmm. and he had young kids at the time. And, you know, this was, man, this was a long time ago. This was like 
15, 16 years ago. Wow. And uh, so he had he had a few young kids at the time. And uh, so I was working with him. Everything was going great, was learning a lot. He was a great guy to work for. And one day I came to work and he's like, man, I just got offered a job at Otterbein University as a maintenance guy and a carpenter there and i gotta take it because yeah. i can send my kids to school for free and yeah that's a no-brainer so like oh shoot <laughs> this was like three weeks before i was going to get married and oh. yeah it's very scary Ooh. so he said but listen i used to work for a commercial construction company called rw sutherland mm-hmm. i'm sure if you called them uh, you could get an interview easily so I called their number, got an interview, and started working there like three weeks before my wedding, which was great because all the companies I worked for, they were 1099, didn't get benefits. Mm. This was like a legitimate company. I had all benefits, paid time off, yeah. sick leave, all of that stuff. So the other two jobs that almost would be, because you, did you, did you know much about their, was it pretty much all hands-on learning how to do that stuff. Yeah. A lot of it was hands-on. It was very rarely my cousin more so than the company that I worked for my uncle. When I worked for my uncle, it was more just like watching and learning. Yeah. My cousin, he worked at a little bit of a slower pace and would take the time to like step back and Hmm. Hey, here's how you frame up a wall. Here's, you know, here's how you lay out for a deck or, you know, what, whatever it was. So that's, I feel like I learned a lot working for my uncle's company, but I also learned a ton working with my cousin too. There's just a, just different styles of learning. Yeah. I think that's always been kind of fascinating to me because anybody that's worked in that kind of a industry, it seems like that's how you do it. You literally go, somebody kind of needs to take time to teach you things and you just slowly gather knowledge and every day you come, that has to be like incredibly satisfying. It is satisfying, and you develop, like, fine motor skills doing mm-hmm. that kind of work, and it's kind of like riding a bicycle or playing, I play guitar, it's kind of like playing guitar, it's mm-hmm. one of those things that, like, even if you don't do it for years, you might be a little rusty at it, but there's some muscle memory there, and that those fine motor skills come back relatively quickly. Sure. So, um so those two companies were residential companies, just strictly mm-hmm. res- working in people's houses. R.W. Sutherland was a commercial company, mm-hmm. and so we did a lot of uh, high school remodels, elementary schools, mm-hmm. hospitals, things like that. Wow. Much bigger structures, yeah. all steel. It was very different, and I actually did not like that industry of carpentry mm-hmm. near as much as I did residential. Yeah. Um, what hours were you pulling? You know, a lot of people ask me that. I, the, Sutherland, when I worked at that company, it was just 40 hours a week oh, with okay. a little bit of overtime here and there. It was mm-hmm. like 7 to 3.30 every day, mm-hmm. uh, which was great because I got off early and still had a decent amount of the day to enjoy. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, there were some companies that would work crazy hours and have like meet these hard deadlines. But mm-hmm. it's pretty rare that my my boss would say like, Hey, I need you to come in Saturday or I need you to stay late. There were some times where I need, you know, I had to work like second shift because we were, uh, uh, swapping out all these doors at this like joint vocational school. And so Mm -hmm. obviously we couldn't do it during the day when like students were there. Right. So we had to come in after school, which was terrible. I mean, Mm -hmm. working until like two in the morning was not fun. Unreal. Going into work when everybody else was getting off was just, 
something psychological about it that yes. just like messed with you. You have to take the time to really like have that switch. And if it's forced upon you, I can't imagine. I've done a couple night. I did temporary night shift. Well, I worked temporarily for the post office in college over Christmas break. And that was only for three weeks. And that I, I don't, I don't think I was just like, how do these people do this yeah. all the time? Yeah. It's nuts. So, you know, I have carpentry and remodeling as a background. Yeah. And then, yeah, so worked at the church for about 10 years. And then it was probably like a year and a half process of starting to realize and starting to figure out that the Lord was showing me that full-time ministry was not in the cards for me long-term. And so at first it was, I I mean, the whole process was pretty scary, but at first it was very scary. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of one of these things where it was like, well, what, what am I going to do? Right. Right. I, I mean... I don't, I don't have like that much experience in anything else outside of remodeling and, and carpentry work. Mm-hmm. And so about, I don't know, two months or a month before I applied at Dave Fox, I, I just started seeing these ads like literally every day on my computer because, you know, they listen to you and everything right. uh, <laughs> that, and they know your thoughts. Yes, uh, they do. That Dave Fox was hiring. Mm-hmm. I would see it every day at work. And so after about a month of seeing that, I I was just like, fine, like I will I will submit my resume to Dave Fox and see what happens. Give in to marketing or <laughs> give in to whatever is happening here. So yeah. um, this was actually I don't know this was actually a week before our trip out west. Okay, I, I submitted my resume, got mm-hmm. a phone call a couple of days later from our production manager, and at first they offered me like way lower than what. I could accept. And yeah. so I just, I well, you had them, three kids. Yeah. I got three kids, got Life a house. house yeah. yeah. Got a lot, of, a lot of responsibility there. And so I initially, I told him out like, Hey, that's, that's just not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. I appreciate your time. This was all over the phone. Yep. And he said, well, you know, I'd still love to talk to you and have you come in and meet in person. And which I was sort of like, I don't really know what, yeah, why, why would I do you that? know? <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, two days after our trip out West, I went in and met with, Greg, our production manager, and mm-hmm. we actually sat and talked for like two hours, which wow. was pretty awesome. He's yeah. a really cool guy, really solid dude. And uh, by the end of that conversation, he, he was like, "You know what? I th- I think we'll be able to. We would be able to start you a lot higher than what I initially said." So basically, he probably had to hear more of your background and understand like yeah. where you were really coming I in think so. with your expertise. Yeah, I think he realized I'm not like some post college, early twenty something dude that is living on his own, but you know, needs to make a buck. Yeah. He saw that I have some life experience. I have some experience in the industry. And then I also have a lot of responsibility. And one thing that I love about Dave Fox that sold me on wanting to work there is the culture of the company. Right. It actually reminds me a lot of Linworth, the church that uh, I worked at for so long. They hire guys based more on their, character and their personality than they do what your skill level is. Yeah. And so that was, that was a huge thing for me. I I really, I really liked that when uh, the production manager explained that to me in my like formal interview. And so, yeah, they, they were able to offer me a little bit more money and Mm -hmm. uh, it was still, I mean, it was still a hard decision to make, obviously. Yeah. I uh, still, there was still some solid times of wrestling with what to do. Yep. And eventually I just, I felt the Lord like 
making it clear to me that this is what I was supposed to do. This is what he wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a cliche saying, but I took a leap of faith and yeah. And so I've been there now for, let's see, three and a half months Mm -hmm. and it's been amazing. It's been awesome. Yeah. So a funny, funny, uh, funny background for the folks listening Dave Fox is actually the company my father worked for for 20 some years. He retired a few years ago and then he, and then, well, he actually retired X number of years ago. I don't remember how many, but then he kind of kept working there and then he retired, retired. Um, but he, I think he was a production manager. I don't yep. actually remember his title, but he was the head. I think he was the head of all production there. So yep. is that who is that? That's the Greg guy. He does. Great, dad's yeah, job. We actually have two production managers. One okay. does like, more administrative work and then one okay. is like out in the field more uh checking on like the guys that are working in the field yeah i just remember like growing up because it was my whole life that my dad did this I, he didn't have any other job that i can remember so he was always he started off as a carpenter it was owned by a gentleman by the name of dave fox yep and then eventually at some point it became company owned or employee owned, I should say. Yep. So all of the employees, like, I don't know how it worked or whatever, but I just remember in my young kid brain, whenever that happened, just my dad like recognizes that was like a really good thing. And he eventually switched from carpentry to more like administrative production type of stuff. And that was a huge move for him. He tried sales, didn't really like that. Um, but I just remember the kinds of jobs that he would sometimes describe yeah. is just being these amazing, I mean, you're already taking like a super expensive house and then you're, you're doing a remodeling job that's more expensive than like, he would be going and doing jobs that were more expensive than the house that we lived in. Yeah. Yep. And that's still probably the case. Definitely still the case. I've been in houses where their kitchen is like bigger than most of my house, basically, <laughs> you know? Um, Yeah. Dave Fox is definitely high end remodeling. Yeah. Uh, the standard for quality is really high, but at the same time, there's a lot of grace and a lot of patience for, you know, if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Everything is fixable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then also there's a lot of room for, let me help you get better at your job because it's only going to help us be a better company. That's, that's a mark of a really good company It is when they want to invest in their own employees yep. yeah. and let you kind of take control of your own development. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. And it's cool because I approach carpentry work now with a very, a much different approach than I did when I was in my early twenties. Sure. My early twenties, it was a, it was just a stepping stone into something bigger and better that I wanted to do. Um, why, how did you not end up as a firefighter? I think we missed oh, that. Yeah. I don't even know that story. Um, well, I just heard like way too many stories from my father-in-law that were really <laughs> disgusting that like was like, I don't think I would like this job. I hate vomit. I don't like blood. Yeah. Um, and that's the majority of what you're dealing with. You're, you're not putting out fires every day like yeah. you see in the movies. It's actually a pretty rare thing that you get to run on a like a house fire. So it's not like backdraft. It's not like backdraft or Man. ladder 49, sadly. Yeah. Man. It's more like, uh, car crashes, that kind of thing. Car crashes, people getting stuck in their bathtub, like stuck in their bathtub. Yeah. I yeah. don't think I want to know more about that. Yeah. Probably shouldn't go there, but <laughs> I, I was almost going to ask you like, what is that even? And then I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to know how you're dealing with intoxicated people a lot. And you know, wasn't something that was very appealing to me. Makes At Dave sense. Fox, I mean, 
literally every person I've worked with so far has just been super awesome and yeah. just great people. And it's just a testament to the type of company that Dave Fox is. And the cool thing about being in my 30s now and um, I consider myself a pretty creative person. I like creativity. I like um, music. I like art. I enjoy art. Obviously, I enjoy like being out in God's creation. Mm -hmm. So creativity is a big thing for me. And I didn't realize like how how much creativity went into being a carpenter. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't realize that really until like I was kind of working at the church and started to like really value um, like trades work and, yeah. and things like that. And so, yeah, so now I approach my work as the same way I approach any like form of creativity that I give myself to like with guitar, I've been playing guitar since I was in sixth grade and Mm -hmm. I'm nowhere near the guitar player that I would like to be. There's always, there's no ceiling. There's always room to grow. There's always room to get better. Yeah. And that's the same way with carpentry. You know, it's like, I work with, I work with guys that are younger than me and, and uh, it's been a, an awesome process, but it's also been a very humbling process. And I work with guys that are younger than me that are, way better carpenters than I am right now. Mm -hmm. And so it gives me this drive to like, I want to get better at my job. I want to be better at this creative outlet Mm -hmm. that I get to be a part of every day. And then also, you know, people talk about it all the time, but there's something very satisfying about tangible results and something that you're working on, like visible, tangible results that you see almost at the end of every day whether you're framing up a wall or putting up really ornate crown molding, what, whatever it is, yeah. it is very satisfying and very gratifying. I don't know if those words are like redundant, but no, I think uh, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. Two two solid satisfying adjectives. and gratifying at the same at time. the same time. So, can you go a little bit more, just psychologically? I guess you're at this. I would describe it almost like a crossroads. You know that you need to provide for your family. You know what you need to bring in to provide for your family you're coming in a little bit under that you're talking with Jacqueline she just taught me through that process you and Jacqueline having these discussions was she for it was she not for it was she just kind of nervous did you have to just talk through it with each other what, what would that process look like yeah so one analogy I like to use for our marriage is the kite and the line analogy. Okay. I am the kite in our marriage. I'm kind of up in the clouds. <laughs> uh, big idea, you know, pretty, in, in some scenarios, optimistic and uh, not very detail-oriented. Mm-hmm. I'm more the big picture person. And Jacqueline's the line. She kind of keeps me from flying away and, you know, keeps us grounded mm-hmm. in reality. Mm-hmm. And so we balance each other out at times. It's annoying. Mm-hmm. Times it's frustrating. Uh, and so in this example, I was more of the like, hey, it's going to work out. Like, you know, we just, we got to trust the Lord. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to make this work. It's going to work out. But she is very much a detail-oriented person where it's like, well, I need to know how it's going to work out. Right. I want to see what the plan is. And, you know, sometimes in life there are, like you're not able to see those things. Yeah. They, like that means you have to like l- be able to look into the future and know exactly what's going to happen. <sighs> and so sometimes that means literally taking a risk, mm-hmm. uh, trusting in the Lord, uh, trusting in his provision. And that's one of the things that we talked about is like, we've been married for almost 15 years now. 
And we can never recall a time in our marriage. We've been through some tough times financially, but we can never recall in our marriage where we did not have what we needed financially to Hmm. survive and to live. Hmm. And so why would God change anything now at this point if we're trusting him with this decision? Mm -hmm. And so we, we just went forward with it and I think for Jacqueline now, on the other end of it, being in it, seeing how things are going, and also seeing just how I am when I come home from work. Sure. So there's there's the financial aspect of it, but there's also the mental aspect of it, the mm. emotional aspect of it. I come home from work, and the difference is between my job at the church and my job at Dave Fox is my job at the church, I would come home from work emotionally and mentally just drained. Yeah. And I did not have the bandwidth to like get on the floor and just like play with my kids or mm-hmm. go throw the ball outside. Mm-hmm. The other thing about working at the church, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm just like bad mouthing full time ministry. Full time ministry was an amazing experience mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So like, please hear that more than anything else I say. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of blurred lines between like your personal life and work life. Yeah. Text messages throughout the day, emails, like you really have to be able to form like good, healthy boundaries for your life. Absolutely. And like be able to categorize work life and just personal life. And it's really hard to do in full-time ministry. Yeah. So at Dave Fox, I come home, I come home physically tired, Mm -hmm. but like, mentally and emotionally, I feel great. And ready to go. Like ready to go. And so I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's easier for me to push through like physical exhaustion than it is like mental yeah. or emotional exhaustion. Yeah. So I'm definitely just in a chip, more chipper mood and, uh, you know, more able and willing to like throw the football with my son mm-hmm. or, you know, color with one of my daughters or something like that. So she, that's been a very noticeable change for her that um, has made her realize like, yeah, this was a good, this was a good move for us. Yeah. So I think it's a testament to people that are unhappy in their jobs and maybe it's not like even overtly happy, but unhappy, I should say it's not overtly unhappy, but if you're in a state of just not feeling satisfied that, you that uh, something else can come along yeah. and it can be the perfect thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the big thing for me is I really care about my spiritual well being. Mm-hmm. And I was realizing that for me personally, this isn't the case for everybody, but for me mm-hmm. personally, mm-hmm. full time ministry was not good for my spiritual walk with the Lord. Yeah. Um, being out of that context and out of that uh, line of work was much better for me in my relationship with the Lord too. So there's, there's like family benefits to it for me personally. There have been like my walk with the Lord, obviously better. It's been, it's been easier for me to like compartmentalize my life Mm -hmm. a lot easier than it was before. So, so I'm really interested in just kind of going a little bit more with you into um, because I think, you know, people that are listening to it, listening to this aren't necessarily going to be spiritual people or, you know, religious yep. people or Christian yep. people or whatever. So can you just talk a little bit more about what you mean, those comments that you just made about your walk with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord? What does that, what does that mean for yeah. you? Well, I personally believe that 
God is my father, my, my heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And I, that I have a personal relationship with him. He's not some ethereal being out there kind mm-hmm. of watching me exist and struggle through life, but he is walking right beside me mm-hmm. and empowering me and strengthening me, uh, strengthening me to walk through this life. And, and so what I mean by the effects that full-time ministry had on that, uh, on my walk with the Lord mm-hmm. is that I'm in this element of talking about spiritual things mm-hmm. all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And that began to feel like, where does work end and where does my walk with the Lord begin? Yeah. And how do I, how do I separate the two? Yeah. And I began to feel like burned out on like spiritual things, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't want that. That yeah. scared me. And so it created this feeling in me that I needed to make a change in my life that would help me be able to better uh, reconcile and comprehend uh, what my walk with the Lord, like that role, like what that part of my life is. It's my whole life. And I want to be able to say, my job at Dave Fox, that's my work. Mm-hmm. And at my work, I'm walking with the Lord still. But that's different than my walk with the Lord, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so, yeah, it, it, it's kind of a, it was kind of a, some people are really good at it. And I, I think that's awesome. You know, I, I worked with my best friend at, mm-hmm. at Linworth and he's really good at being able to just do both things yeah. at the same time. The way I'm wired, the way I think about things, the way I process information that was not the case for me. He, he, I went through Bible school, you know, and the, it, like the Bible is your textbook in so many classes. Right. And there was a reality where it felt like every time I was approaching the Bible in my own personal time, it felt strictly intellectual and strictly just for head knowledge. Yeah. And there was very little like connection to the heart in that season of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just not good at like separating those things out. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a big reason why, I, I made the change that I made. So, you know, I mean, it just sounds like there's just so many things that were going on in the decision, um, but that it ultimately like worked out mm-hmm. and that, yeah, you didn't have to go to a job that you, well, like a construction job or any kind of like blue collar type work that you didn't really like, but you got to go to a company that's stable. It's been around, obviously. I, I know this, it's been around forever. Yeah. And you have ways that you can grow and there's not like a, it's it's it is really nice to when you go to work to know that there's not like this peak that you're going to get to and then yep. and then you're done but yeah. you can continue to develop and grow how what and whatever that looks like i just think that's just good for people out there again i think i mentioned this earlier but <clears throat> we're we're living in a time that's so unprecedented and we hear the word unprecedented i think every single day multiple times a day but that is the reality so the idea that there's somebody out there COVID has shook us, 2020 has shook us, and there's probably so many people out there that are, that are feeling unsatisfied and are ready for like a change and are tired of maybe the grind, yeah. tired of the, the status quo, and ready to have meaning. That's, what I, that's where I'm getting to. 
I was wondering where my ramble was going. But to, to, to live a life that feels like there's purpose and meaning. So could you maybe, let's do this. We kind of, we kind of are at time. I would like you to, because I've rambled here for a second, I'd like you to maybe address for anybody out there who has been feeling a level of <clears throat> dissatisfaction, whatever that might be whether it's their job or just their, their state, how, what, what words of encouragement can you give to somebody who isn't happy with their job? I'm almost, almost picturing like somebody who thought their life was going to be a certain way because you've gone through that where you thought ministry was going to be a certain way. It yeah. turned out not to be that way for you. And you realized that <clears throat> I wanted to talk to you more about just that process of like, how you came to the realizations, get a little bit more into that, but we're not going to be able to do that this time. So could you maybe just talk to somebody out there who just knows that they're unsatisfied, they wanted life to be a certain way it isn't. Can you give them any hope? Yeah. You know, I think everything I just shared um, obviously doesn't have to be this deep spiritual lesson. I think uh, it, it could be, but I also feel like if you're not a spiritual person or even if you're a spiritual person that doesn't subscribe to the spiritual beliefs that I subscribe to, I think there's a lesson in there of feeling like we have to be able to have healthy boundaries between our work life and our own personal life. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty countercultural to the culture that we live in today. Yeah, uh, It's becoming increasingly uh, just more and more obvious that are uh, like the system of the culture that we live in just is demanding more and more and yeah. more of us. And yeah. the more technology advances it, it's, it's a good thing. We obviously we have things like this awesome podcast and we have access to really cool information, mm -hmm. but it also makes us more available to people that want to get a hold of us who don't need to get a hold of us all the time. Mm. You know, it's hard it's hard for us to shut our brains off and disconnect from uh, from things in our life. And I think our work life is one of those things that's becoming increasingly more and more hard to disconnect from. So yeah. I'll, I'll just say that. And then for you folks who, you know, are just kind of struggling through your job and are feeling dissatisfied with work and just sort of wondering what your purpose for life is and things like that, Ah, uh, man, the hope, I, the, the, like the, the words of hope or the words of encouragement, I would say is just, just keep chipping away. Keep, mm. keep grinding, you mm -hmm. know, whatever you do, try to be the best at it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, my time at Dave Fox has not been all like part, like sunshine and roses. <laughs> like literally like last week I was digging mud out of a trench in a basement. We had to cut concrete out of this yeah. basement and, you know, it was, it wasn't the greatest day. Yeah. And one of the, th I had to give myself a pep talk and I made a competition. Like how fast can I get this done? Sick. You know? Yeah. Uh, that wasn't what I wanted to be doing that day. I wanted to be like framing up a wall or putting really beautiful trim down or something like that. And yeah. so, um, life is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. We are not owed anything and we're not guaranteed anything. And so we, it's, it's your perspective, Mm. Do you make the most of what you have and the situation that you're in? Mm -hmm. Or um, do you, are you constantly wishing for 
something different in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to daydream and I think it's good to have goals. I think there's a fine balance there of living in that reality of like, this is where I'm at right now and mm-hmm. I need to be okay with that. And I need to be the best that I can with where I'm at. But here's, here's some plans that I want to see happen for my life. Yeah. Two, five, 10 years down the road. And I'm going to work my butt off to see that happen. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I obviously can't give you any words of hope of like, well, you know, just stick it out because one day you will have your best career and you mm-hmm. will be living your best life now. Like, yeah. I just don't, I don't believe in that kind of like, I don't know, self-talk. Perfect or utopia. Perfect utopia. I think the thing that has been challenging for me and that I like to challenge people with is just try to be the best at what you're doing right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you do that, you don't realize like the impact that you have on the people around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't realize the impact that you're having on your company. Yeah. Um, even though it might not matter, you, you, you are having a positive effect in the world somehow. Yeah. And you're making this place a better place somehow, even if it's in a small way. Yeah. So That's really good. And I think you're a testament to that of <clears throat> you didn't, you made you you kind of were aware you made some decisions and things did happen they didn't happen necessarily right away maybe as quickly initially as you wanted but you 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 kept waiting and you just kept pursuing you just kind of you pursued it but you also let it let it kind of happen mm-hmm. so but then you also then you start bringing up all that stuff about technology and where we're at and then I Man, it's a whole nother whole episode. nother thing. Yep. Whole nother thing. Yep. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna delve into that, but maybe we can get into some of that the next time. So yeah. uh, thanks for coming, Nick. Yeah, it's great thanks having for you having again. me. I'm glad this worked out this time. And me too. Yeah. Next time, maybe we'll get into crossbow hunting. Yeah. And bourbon. And bourbon. Crossbow hunting and bourbon. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.